Hello and welcome to the Midwest Football Podcast, episode 23. This is your home for the independent thinking fans coverage of the NFL's upper Midwestern teams. The Bears, Bengals, Browns, Colts, Lions, Packers, Steelers, and Vikings. We don't fly off the handle, we call it how we see it, and after last weekend of seeing it, now we're in trauma therapy. I'm Joe Smith, coming to you live from the Motor City, Detroit, Michigan. We are recording Tuesday, September 19th, 2023. Here is my friend and equally recovering broadcast partner, Brian Rosenquist. I know you say we don't fly off the deep end, but, you know, I make no promises this week. Or should I say, hello, Midwestlanders and friends, coming to you from a uh, beautiful Orlando day. Um it's more beautiful than the Tampa Bay day that I was at on Sunday where I got to watch the bears in person. So more on that later. Um, Sounds like a hostage situation to me. Yep. And the good news is the bears were so bad the first week, it lowered my expectations going to week two and they've only lowered because next week is 15th annual bearcation where I will be in Kansas city to again, watch the bears lose to the reigning super bowl champion. So that should be fun. Um, And by that, I mean, sarcastically. If you if the Bears win next week, every Lions fan shoots themselves in the head. <laughs> yeah, because it, it erases your quality victory in the worlds of college sports, I guess. And um, other um, actual happy news, um, the pod dog update with Remy is she's getting her stitches out in less than two days. So by the time this podcast drops, she'll probably be back to no longer being a cone dog with uh, stitches. So that's good news. And um Onward and into week two to three, Bridge, this podcast will be. (laughs) Yes, and if you do like the show, help our podcast grow by giving us a five-star review, commenting, contacting us via our email, which is midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com, or recommending our show to your friends. As for this episode, we'll recap what we learned from week two, including our usual in-depth coverage of the Midwest teams and some high-profile injuries outside it. We'll talk about a few losers giving the real Vikings fans a bad name. But first, we'll open the show with two quarterbacks who recently got handed the bag. Last week, Joe Burrow, and the reaction to his mega deal started not long after. Well, so, I mean, it feels like we talked about this ahead of time, but it makes me kind of laugh because we didn't. It just turns out we just predicted it perfectly accurately. I didn't look into the details, but I mean, I think when Hertz signed his contract, we just kind of assumed Lamar would just say, hey, slightly more than that. And then Burroughs agent would just say, hey, slightly more than that. And I think that's about what happened. Um, and they all had rough starts, although Lamar and uh, Hertz are 2-0 and each in the Burroughs. Uh, 0-2 for the fourth time in five years. So don't panic, Bengals fans. You guys haven't started with a good record in the first two weeks in half a decade anyways first to talk about joe burrow he did not take the hometown discount at all he got handed 275 million dollars on his extension uh that's a 40 million dollar pay raise this year 146 and a half million of that is fully guaranteed at signing that's an extra 111 million dollars of new guarantees Congrats. There were two years left on his rookie contract, a fourth year, plus they'd already picked up the fifth year. Uh, So now Burroughs contract combines for a seven year, $310 million deal through the 2029 season, which for him is age 33. Mm. 
That's kind of funny. I forget he's quietly an older quarterback prospect coming out of the draft because he was fifth year guy, you know, spent time at Ohio State before two years at LSU. Um, let's be honest, though, this was kind of one of the easiest slam dunks because last year when we were debating when we had early in the offseason, when it was the Hertz and Lamar stuff, it was like Hertz has done one good year. Lamar had a couple of down years and was banged up. And it was like, do you pay him? Cause he's, you know, he was MVP, but what have you done for me lately? Uh, Burrow has done nothing but be awesome for the last three and a half season when he hasn't been sidelined with an ACL tear. So it just seemed like a slam dunk. I mean, they're coming off of a Super Bowl appearance two years ago, final four last year. I mean, why not? Yeah. The average annual value is gigantic on this. He, uh, Joe Burrow, obliterated Justin Herbert's 52.5 million a year. I forgot about him. There's been so many high paid quarterbacks this off season. <laughs> yep. This is a full $55 million a year deal for Joe Burrow, which represents almost a quarter of the salary cap in one guy. That's an all time high. Wow. R- random pivot away from Burrow. Did Tua sign an extension yet? Is he the only one of that class that hasn't between Burrow, Herbert, and uh, Hertz? So far as I know, he has not because mm-hmm. uh, I, which I imagine is because of the concussions. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um. What's What's the story with the Mahomes thing? I'm not fully. I I haven't fully followed that story. Just that they restructured his contract somehow. Do you have any uh, details this one on that? Wasn't a rip up and start over. Uh, but instead, basically, they uh, upped his pay a little bit over the next like four years and pretty much fully guaranteed it. Mm. Okay. So they r- really amped up his value, his cash value that he's getting paid over the next four seasons. Well, congrats um, to the Super Bowl champ and reigning MVP. Yep. So he's going to make an additional 13.9 this year, an additional 20 million plus in 2024, an additional 31 million in 2025, and an additional 43 million in 2026, which these were the more cap friendly years of the deal before. He is now going to get basically over 50 million a year. And for the next through about 2025, 2026, it's pretty much all guaranteed. Okay. Well, congratulations to him. Yep. He's going to have a cap hit of 37.1 this year. And then after that, he's going to be north of a $57 million cap hit every year until at least 2028, by which point both sides have said they will re uh, re-examine the contract. Hmm. What's interesting about his is I know the dirty little secret when he signed that half a billion dollar contract was I, I, I heard that the uh, from people smarter than me that the genius behind it was it left a lot of flexibility for cap maneuvering. And it sounds to me like now that they got their championship and they're no longer paying Tyreek Hill that they decided to make it unflexible and reward him for the Super Bowl win without Hill. And uh Based on this uh, wide receiver core, it's not like uh, <laughs> it's not like anybody needs that. That's their deserves to be paid after the first two weeks. So, might as well give it to uh, Mahomes, in my opinion. So he's currently taking the bag for, or the the baton from Brady as the goat so far. The little asterisk in this deal is there is a clear four year out for the Chiefs after this. Interesting. So. I mean, it's not a guarantee that the Chiefs do it. They've got him under contract for nine more years. But yeah. um, 
Well, it's still Which, flexible then. Right. But if they need to get out of it after all this guaranteed money uh, in the 2026 season, it's possible that they could. Well, you know, I mean, I guess it's a weird thing because it feels like old school thinking where it's like he's probably going to be around 29, 30 around that time. But quarterbacks seem to have much longer careers now anyways. And there's no reason to think Mahomes won't age well, but you never know. Hedge your bets, I guess, you know. I mean, it's four years from now, so they're still locked in for a few more years. So, Yeah. In short, these are gigantic money deals. I know I said that we were going to talk about some of the major injuries to other players around the league, but actually most of the major injuries, the ones that are really making news that are really going to have a lasting impact are actually the Midwest teams. So it basically boils down to the top injury outside our region here is definitely going to be Saquon Barkley. And we'll cover the rest of them as we do our game by game reviews for week two. Yes, for sure. Yeah, so it, the Saquon Barkley was an interesting thing because the after six quarters, the Giants looked like potentially the worst team in NFL history. And then they rally back and pull off the win against Arizona in the second half, but then they lose Saquon Barkley. So like, it feels like both New York teams made a deal with the devil to win their game, but then lose <laughs> lose their star player being Aaron Rodgers the week before and Saquon. Although it sounds like it's a two to three week injury, so it's not the end of the world. No, it's definitely not because they got their real star, Vanilla Vic, Daniel Jones. There you <laughs> Hashtag go. sarcasm. So who's likely to pick up the slack for Saquon Barkley and uh, it for the Giants here? Obviously, you're not going to replace him, but who are they going to trot out there? Matt the look Brady? on your face says, shoot, I don't know. Nope, I do not know. I, I saw Matt Breda took a couple carries. I've never really been that excited for him, so... I'm assuming it's going to be a committee with Breda and a couple other guys that we've we've heard the names of, but I don't know. I'm not exactly rushing to dump my fab bid on his replacement because I don't know who it's going to be, and they're only going to be there for a couple of weeks. But I mean, if you're guess if you're desperate, you know, go go find it. Go go hit the uh, the Giants beat reporters on Twitter or something and figure it out. Yeah, the Giants are refusing to rule out Saquon Barkley, but basically anybody who's looking at this injury with any significant thought process is saying this is a multi-week injury, not like a multi-month injury, but a multi-week injury. Yeah, it sounds like two to three weeks is what I've been hearing. So, I mean, there's probably an elevated reaggravation risk for a couple more weeks afterwards and stuff like that, and probably probably a, a slight performance drop when he returns, but... I mean, it, it, we've seen much worse injuries this week, and we'll get to those later. So shall we um, go on to the Thursday night football game slash uh, headline news that was made by the classy Minnesota Vikings fans? I'm not. That's the thing. Okay, so to give people who have not been maybe tuning in and maybe missed this a clue what we were talking about, the Vikings played the Eagles on Thursday night football, and the fans were of Minnesota were not happy with the way that game turned out to put it mildly. It was only moderately competitive. Uh, the Eagles pretty much smashed them. And after the game, a couple of, uh, I hesitate to call them fans because it sounded to me much more like 
a couple of angry either like fantasy football players or like prop betters or something that went in and just every kind of racist just lowbrow horrible human being kind of angry tirade you could send to a player's direction uh which neither you nor i i think believe represents what real minnesota viking fans are about i mean every fan base has a couple of crazies in the corner that you just don't talk to but i'm not even sure this was that yeah so uh, the story was weird because the way these stories always break are super vague and when I first saw the tweets about him getting death threats and racism comments towards him, um, all the original comments were like, oh, the Eagles fans are the worst. And then I remember thinking like, oh, the Eagle fans single him out. That doesn't make any sense. It's got to be Vikings fans. But I think you're right. It's probably just more fantasy football guys because uh, uh, I paused for a second while you're going over there because I was pulling up uh, the game score on that. But I forgot I stupidly pulled up the ESPN feed where they had to blast a commercial over you that you can't mute or get rid of. So I killed it. So um, but I was just checking the box score. He averaged three and a half yards per carry. It wasn't nearly as bad as I thought, but a lot of it was just lack of volume, in my opinion. So moving on to the game itself, like the game flow the Vikings got a quick lead. The Eagles went up 17 to seven and then basically were up two scores. Most of the game, the Vikings would have a big play every once in a while to keep it close. So like the final score wasn't bad, but it was a two score game with less than four minutes to play. And um, really I wasn't impressed by the Vikings. Um, it was closer than I thought. Cause we, we did our preview on Tuesday and I didn't know that, the Eagles were missing half their starting defense. They were literally missing, I think five or six players going into that game. And the fact that the Vikings couldn't keep up was a little concerning despite putting up good fantasy numbers. But the part that I saw that was really concerning was I was legitimately afraid for Kirk cousins health in that game. He was getting lit up every play even on quick passes, he was getting hit. Like, I just don't think it's sustainable. Like, I, I worry what's going to happen to the Vikings if Cousins goes down. I was actually hoping that for his safety, he'd be traded to the Jets this week, which huh. they don't have a good offensive line either. No, not really. I mean, we have been very critical of the Vikings all yeah. summer long. Mm-hmm. But the reason we are critical is because we have expectations for these teams. And if and we want to not blow smoke up our fans, you know? Mm-hmm. So if, and the fans of the Vikings that may not be getting this perspective from uh, their hometown media, because, you know, a lot of the times you know, you're listening to Viking state media or lion state media or whatever, mm-hmm. that they're pretty much heavily involved in it. So, when we're critical, it's not because, Oh, we hate the team. Although there's a certain percentage of fans that are always going to think that that equate anything negative that they hear about the team with hate, but it's also, but we can, I think we can kind of lay off some of the Vikings criticism for a little while because the fans seem to be getting it. Looking at Minnesota fan pages, we're starting to see, hey, why don't we have an offensive line? Which is what we've been saying for a long time, among other things. Well, 
But that, that's why I'm critical of the Vikings, not the fans, the, the organization, because you have these great players like, you know, Jefferson, Hawkinson, Addison looks really good. Um, even, you know, Madison's getting hate, but he's better than that. And like, all they had to do was throw resources at the offensive line and this wouldn't, they would be much better. Um, because my problem is they spent all that money on their fullback and their um, backup tight end, which I've been making jokes about. That was how they're going to improve their run game efficiency, which three yards per carry is an improved running game efficiency, in my opinion. But they don't play them. If you look at the snap count, Josh Oliver and um, Ham, they only play like nine to 10 snaps a game. So I, I don't know what the plan was. That's my problem was. It, it was just the offseason planning because this is a roster that with the couple right tweaks towards the offensive and defensive lines, I think could have legitimately lived up to their you know double-digit win total. And that's why I'm frustrated with it. And you're seeing it on full display watching – Kirk Cousins just get manhandled every play. Like that first third down pickup where he hit uh, Jefferson for a quick pass uh, uh, for like 15, 18 yards. He got lit up. He got rid of that ball in like a second. Like it, it, it was, it was bad, man. I, I don't, I don't know what else to say, but I know you said we weren't, weren't going to be critical on him anymore, but um, I apologize. I didn't sign off on that. <laughs> in the pre Not exactly. But I mean, not, the, the point is I've had, you know, you're a Chicago Bears fan. I'm a Lions fan. I've had an entire lifetime of watching the decision makers for a franchise, coach and general manager, make a complete idiot out of themselves. So I'm really good at seeing it when it's happening. And that's pretty much what we've been trying to say you know, mm-hmm. all the way along here. Madison is not a horrible back. I don't know that he's a great starting NFL running back. But he deserves to be in the NFL. But who can succeed when they're getting single-digit carries a game behind a bottom three offensive line? Mm-hmm. And this is, you know, I'm, I, I know you mentioned the Lions and Bears fandom in us. And when you include the Vikings in this, this just gives me bad flashbacks to all three of these franchises have had all-time great running backs have their career arguably wasted between Barry Sanders, Walter Payton and Adrian Peterson. And they were great in spite of defense offensive lines. So maybe these franchises don't care. I don't know, but I just like to see a good offensive line in Minnesota for their sake. Cause and actually see if cousins is good. Cause I actually think it to pivot into the bears game, which is next on our list if Cousins was playing behind the Bears offensive line in Tampa, he would have absolutely shredded them because uh, I, I'm trying to keep this short. I know we had a Joe and I, to be fair to you guys, listen to us. We had a pre-production meeting, quote unquote, meeting yesterday to try to get out our rants on the Bears and Lions game plan. So I'll try to keep it quick. Um Fields had a lot of time to throw. I, I'm gonna. I'm, I posted um, two videos I took. I was at the game of just random plays where Fields, when you counted out, had between five to nine seconds to throw. There were open receivers, and he just stood in the pocket till he got sacked. And I, I don't know what's going on. I don't think you can blame the Bears' offensive line anymore. They gave him time to throw. 
I don't think you can blame the receivers. They were open. I mean, I was very critical on Chase Claypool. I was actually came away from that game thinking he played pretty well. And if he can play like that and Mooney comes back from his hamstring injury or knee injury or whatever he had, they have a pretty good trio of receivers. Um, But I don't know if Fields is just forever broken or if it's terrible offense, but it just seemed to me like they coached the fields out of fields, but they didn't coach anything good into them. Like it was just like, Hey, we need you to stop running the ball. So instead of being, being better at passing, he just doesn't run anymore. And to just to temper some of the hate, we saw this at the beginning of last year where he wasn't running. He wasn't particularly efficient at throwing the ball. We saw flashes of it. He looked good in the first drive when they were scripted, which is typical. We've talked about this in the past. They were one of the best scoring offenses in the first drive last year. And then it was just nothing for two and a half, three quarters. And then that that desperation drive at the end, it looked like whatever he was doing that was keeping him in paralysis in the brain was let loose and he marched the bears down the field to score a touchdown to Clay Claypool that got him within, you know, three points towards the end. And then the bad play calling took over where the bear, the, the Buckeye Shaq Barrett who intercepted a screen pass literally said, we knew the screen pass is coming. We all knew it. We saw the formation. They tried to do this to us before. They can't be really this dumb. Can they? Oh, well, I guess I'll just have a pick six and end the game. And to me, like that's where the blame goes on the offensive play call, where now we have two highly public plays, one on fourth and fourth and one uh, to start the game for the Packers against the Bears or the Bears against the Packers, where the Packers knew what they were doing and one to end the game game two. So I, I don't know. I'm at the point now where I'm just glad the Bears have the Panthers first round pick and they look terrible. And the Bears now are in the great running to get Caleb Williams so we can ruin him to pair with Marvin Harrison. And um, maybe Fields can be sent to like the Rams or the Niners where uh, an actual offensive play call can a uh, coach can uh, salvage his career. And that's just the Buckeye and me talking, just hoping Fields can turn into something because it just it doesn't feel like it doesn't feel like Fields has a future in Chicago or the offensive coaching staff. I don't know what the problem is, but it's 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 a step back from last year. There's no more hope. Yeah, I I knew that you would have a lot to say about this game, but I did look at the box score here mm-hmm. and it struck me how few plays the Bears ran. It was really, really shocking, especially for a team that really was not running the football to any significant amount. A lot of three and outs, a lot of just standing there taking a sack, a lot of just throwing the ball into the dirt. Like it, it was very disjointed. I mean, between the first drive of the game and the last couple of drives of the game, the, I don't, I don't know if the Bears moved the ball more than like one or two first downs, and like between midway through the first quarter, midway through the third quarter or fourth quarter, I should say. Hmm. Um, on the flip side, if you're a Bucks fan, uh, Baker Mayfield looks like good Baker Mayfield again. Uh, Mike Evans it was great at shoving the Bears defensive back that was about to pick off a pass into the dirt and uh, bribing the ref and running 70 yards, but somehow failing to score a touchdown on the play. Um, I'm not bitter. I'm just annoyed and super bitter. Um <laughs> I'm not bitter. I'm just annoyed and bitter. Uh, that that was so frustrating. Like I'm like, oh my god, interception, pick six. Oh, he just shoved J- 
Tyreek Stevenson into the ground. What? Like, I don't know. It, it was weird. I just, you know, I know the, the Bucks fans were chanting pay Evans, but I just, I just didn't enjoy watching him, his bully ball. I mean, I know it's football, but like just blindsiding a defensive back, trying to intercept a pass and just getting away with it. I mean, it could have been worse in the rate in the, in the, in the Bengals game. Uh, OBJ literally horse collared the defensive back covering him in the end zone and they flew the through the flag on the Bengals. Sorry to touch that game, but I'm just saying it could have been worse. At least they didn't flag the Bears defensive back. So and and rant on officiating because this could go eight podcasts if we want to complain about every stupid call or non-call. But that was bad. Fair. Yeah. Um did you have a, did you want to say anything or did I cover all the rants on uh just you know, the field situation and uh Yeah, I I that I was know. just kind of what I took away from especially when I that in combination with what I saw from the uh week one game against the Packers and there is some definite um I noticed some coaching issues not in terms of the game plan per se because you're much more up on that than Mm -hmm. I am but I was noticing it from the motivation standpoint this is a team that does not respond very well to adversity right now there's a lot of you know shuffling side to side and looking at each other and going here we go again (laughs) which is another thing I'm which is another thing that I'm used to seeing as a Lions fan from my team. That's fair. Um, I was just going to say the addition of DJ Moore looked great. I, I do still believe that Ryan Poles has done a good job upgrading the talent. The line looked pretty good. DJ Moore looked good. Even Claypool showed some flashes. Claypool or Khalil Herbert broke off a couple of good runs, one on a screen on, on a pass. And Roshan had one more mega run. Unfortunately, he had like, 32 yards on four carries but 29 of that was on his one major highlight and then the other were three yards on three carries so um i think we can move on to the packers falcons where our uh, nfc north continued to lose uh this is uh we've already covered the vikings losing the bears losing and now we're onto the packers losing so holy moly yeah jordan love continues to put up gravity defying stats because They've done what a good general manager will do, and that is surround him with an offensive line and weapons so that they can idiot proof this offense. It's, you know, not to, I'm not going to jump ahead. It's the same thing that the Seahawks have done. It's the same thing that, you know, many good teams have done. It's good coaching. Yeah. I was going to say, it feels like a light version of what the Niners are doing. Um, the stats that guys like Brock Purdy and Jimmy G and um, Nick Mullins in San Francisco and what Jet J, uh, Jordan Love do um, are much better than his individual grade. That's not to take away from the quarterback. They're doing their job, but it feels like this is a blueprint of what more coaches should be doing to bring along young quarterbacks and giving them a chance to succeed. Cause I got to say the Packers don't have, haven't played Christian Watson this season and their young wide receivers look great. Um, you know, dubs and Jaden Reed is showing flashes Musgrave. And then you also throw in, they didn't have Aaron Jones and Aaron Jones single-handedly ripped the bears heart out last week before he pulled his hamstring. And I just think the Packers have done a good job building around Aaron Jones for the transition or Aaron Jones, Jordan love for the transition from quarterback to quarterback. And like, despite all the pressure from seceding two hall of fame quarterbacks, 
it's like there is no pressure on Jordan Love. He can just go out there, find a guy in the flat. Jaden Reed takes it an extra 20 yards. I mean, it's it's great, and he's doing a great job executing it. Yeah, this is exactly what you do. And I don't care. I don't even care what organization you're in. We're not even talking about football right now. This is exactly what you do when you've got a young guy surrounded by veterans. You do everything that you can to limit what's on the person's plate so that whatever they're doing, they excel at it. And mm-hmm. that's what's happening with Jordan Love. The, and- they still ended up on the losing end against the Falcons in a very competitive game. They got hammered with the running game. So, which is what we've kind of been talking about. It was kind of funny because that's what we thought the Bears were going to do to the Packers. And it's ended up being the, uh, excuse me, the Falcons that did enough of it to uh, sneak away with a win. Well, what's funny to me is uh, to transition to straddle both games. The Falcons have been giving Bijan and Tyler Algier tons of carries. I think both of them have like 30, 40 touches in two games and that's what we thought the bears are going to be doing with herbert roshan foreman and fields and the bears have just said you know what fields you were a great running quarterback last year now you're not at all and we're not going to run the ball even at all and it's just weird when a team pivots away from their strength now the falcons won that game because they leaned into it and you also point out the packers defensive weakness is the run defense and when they got ahead it has been yeah, and when they got ahead first week, they annihilated the Bears' offensive line and Justin Fields in the second half by pinning their ears back and going after the quarterback. But they never had that chance against the uh, the Falcons, and they let the Falcons stay around. And it's weird to me because everything I have to say about the Packers is good, and they lost the game, and it just feels weird because it feels like they won that game. Like It just feels like they're a 2-0 team right now despite the loss. And I don't know how else to describe it, but I mean, maybe it is just, it was it bad defense? I didn't get to watch that game because it was going on when I was in Tampa, but, and I haven't had a chance to watch the highlights, but just seems, you know, maybe it's just the Falcons just have, you know, great offensive players like Drake London making plays and uh, Bijan. And that's exactly what we are talking about. They, the Falcons have also surrounded their young quarterback with weapons Solid offensive line, maybe a top five running back. They've got a very highly drafted uh, wide receiver one that, and lots of other guys that can catch balls. Tight ends they don't um, use, yeah. Yep, I was about to mention that. And it's it's a good point because Ritter has not been good this year, but they're winning games in spite of him. And it's just an interesting thought. Like, what if they traded for Lamar Jackson in the offseason when they had a chance or something, you know? Um, but either way, um, you're right. Both of those teams have done a good job building around young quarterbacks. And um, shall we move on to lack of yeah. better pivot to veteran quarterback play? I wouldn't say veterans, mid-career, mid, mid-prime former MVP caliber quarterbacks in the AFC North, uh, Bengals versus Ravens. Uh, the Ravens pulled that one out. Um, they got up early. It looked like the Bengals offense kind of, Started to click late. Burrow re-aggravated his uh, um, calf injury that he injured the start of the season of training camp. So there's a lot of concern right now in Cincinnati because they're 0-2. And we don't know if Burrow is healthy or not. And that normally I would think they're a shoe in their turnaround. But that Rams game on Monday night doesn't look as easy as it did before in, in the offseason. 
No, it does not. Because the Rams you know, have been hit or miss in the win column. They just lost a closer than expected game to uh, the 49ers. But they've been good offensively in both games. And the dirty little secret is after the Bengals let their two starting safeties walk in free agency, including Jesse Bates, now they haven't been able to stop anybody. Jesse Bates walked to the now 2-0 Falcons, who have a much better defense. Maybe not a coincidence. Um, Bright side is um, they found T. Higgins. He has a pulse. Yeah. They need to put out a search party for Jamar Chase, but that will come if Joe Burrow plays. Yeah, I mean, I, I it, to me, it's it, it it comes down to Burrow's health and can he get back into the swing of things with his offense? You know, because it's um, I don't know, it's uh, you know, Mixon's not getting any younger. They don't really have another running back to lean on. It's all on Joe Burrow's, you know. Uh, shoulders because you know Higgins had a big game but like Chase only had 30 yards on eight targets that that, that's not cutting it for a guy who can make you know 50 yard plays on any any given Sunday you know boy they're not they're still for out of all the teams with an elite passer the Bengals are still not a tempo team they're running they're still running closer to a slowdown than an up tempo and if they're not clicking offensively, there's just not enough balls to go around for all the weapons in this offense. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, you know, like their defense, I mean, Jackson, Lamar Jackson looks like he's taken that pivot from running quarterback to passing quarterback as uh, now he's spreading the ball around where Nelson Aguilar, of all people, Zay Flowers, Mark Andrews all had, you know, you know, four or five catches. And uh, it looks like uh, they, they've just done a good job moving the thing ball around. And to me, it's an interesting thing because not to step on our last game, but arguably the, the two Ohio teams have the most talent mid prime and young talent in the division, but the Ravens and the Steelers just have two coaches that just have their teams ready to play no matter whose names on that Jersey. And I think that, um, my big overall take for the week is just that it just feels like the well-coached teams win. And, you know, like some of these, like like the, the bank, Ravens have no business beating the Bengals in talent. Uh, the same thing with the Steelers and the Browns, same thing with the Titans beating the Chargers, which we're not covering, but these three teams just have good coaches. They always have good game plans. They know how to put their players in the mm-hmm. best position to succeed. And they were three, and zero this week. What a coincidence. Yep. Coaching matters. Yep. Uh, speaking speaking of, coaching, of coaching mattering, yeah. You want to oh get it? You goodness. want? I'll, I'll, I'm going to go grab a drink of water while you get into this rant because this will be fun. Yeah, the <laughs> Lions. I, wa- I have a mea culpa here because I was all in on the Lions and who boy did they ever prove me wrong. Ugh. This was insane. Um. This was the most same old Lions game I've seen in nearly a calendar year. There were three stupid turnovers. There were coaching mistakes all over the place. More on that later. From all three of the main coaches, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and head coach. Um, They just looked not ready to play. And at the end of the game, the Lions 
the Seahawks played very well. I don't want to take anything away from them. But with the turnover differential of three Lions turnovers to zero for the Seahawks, the game still went to overtime. And the Lions never saw the ball in in overtime. The Lions beat themselves in many very real ways. I thought we were past this. Which means this is same old Lions until proven otherwise. Let me give you a couple of examples. Are we going to talk about the usage of pass catching backs for in Detroit? Let's talk about Gibbs. In fact, tie this into the rant that you had with the Swift watching him on Thursday night because they are related. Exactly, because you're watching Swift go absolutely ape on Thursday (laughs) night with a usage that was double anything he ever saw in Detroit going off for what mm-hmm. 180 total yards and multiple at touchdowns least, at least and we're watching this going wait a minute we let this guy go for a token for a, pick for a mid fourth rounder two years from now yeah and then we come back and we get with uh jameer gibbs and he has what did he have i have it up uh seven carries for 17 yards a measly 2.4 yards per carry um and nothing up had... the middle by the way everything that he ran was straight to the edge at all at all times and, and they probably knew at this point after watching week one if he's in the game you don't have to worry about the middle because they swarmed the sides and catching pass catching wise he he caught a he had a, lead, a game high sorry a lion's high nine targets for a team high seven catches for a measly 39 yards so he had combined and his longest, he got yards? his longest. Yeah, longest was a. Uh, that can't be right. It says seven or no. Uh, it says seven yards uh, in the air and eight yards on the ground. So he had over that half of correct. his carries for one uh, half of his yards on one carry, and that's not very good for someone as explosive as him. Yeah. So let's recap this. This guy was supposed to be a weapon, a dude, and he looks like weapon. a guy. That's a problem. You, His entire thing is supposed to be he's going to be a wide-open matchup nightmare in the short to, in the intermediate passing game, and they're using him as a dump-off guy. Swift had there was, one... He was wide open one play on the sideline where there was nobody within 15 yards of him, and Goff flat missed him. Ugh. Cheer this up. The goffiest Goff game that you've ever seen. But here's what gets me crazy even after montgomery left the game one of many lions to get hurt in this game mm-hmm. they didn't change the usage he still only had you know yeah per three um, four five touches a quarter per the uh usage report from Dwayne mcfarland from fantasy life uh they basically just when Montgomery went down, they just pulled Craig Reynolds off the bench and slid him into Montgomery role and kept Gibbs in the same role, but giving him some extra passing down situation. But running wise, it was no different. I don't well, they were also that. down two scores for most of the third and fourth period. So they were in pass situations more often. But, but here's the me. what if. Mm-hmm. What if this coaching staff just doesn't value that kind of back? What well, if they want to run the two down pounder every 
you know, 17, 18, 19, 20 times a game, even after they've lost a tackle and a guard. Well, to me, that's the concerning part from a coaching standpoint, because when you had DeAndre Swift and Jamal Williams, I kind of understood that role based on what we'd seen until Thursday night was where Swift was the every down back. Um, I thought the selling point of going to Montgomery and Gibbs is they're both three down backs and you're not telegraphing your your play calling by having one in the game. So it it disturbs me that they didn't think Gibbs could do the three down back role once Montgomery went out. And um, I don't know, maybe it's just because he's a rookie, but it just it, it, it just I don't know. They had all offseason, you know, but yeah, so. We had a defense that I don't know what they were doing in the second half of this game, which to be fair, both starting safeties went out Houston and uh, CJ Gardner Johnson, and both are out for probably the year. Oh, that sucks. Um, torn pectoral loss. and broken ankle. Yeah. Those are big but, losses, especially CJ Chauncey Gardner Johnson. But that said the final drives in the latter part of the game, as well as in overtime was just way too easy. They were way too soft, way too soft in coverage. And then you've got a coaching staff that offensively is aggressive, aggressive, aggressive. They went for it on fourth down three times. I'm not going to kill them for the two times they did it when they were in uh, Seahawk territory. But then when they, they are at like fourth and three from their own 40 and they go for it, that's yeah. That have, makes zero sense. I know fantasy. We're not a big fan of kickers and punters anymore, but they still have you their use in real football. And that was in the second half. And I know being aggressive is generally rewarded, but there's a there's a difference between being aggressive and being aggressively stupid. And there's still reasons to punt the ball on fourth down and short. You got to punt that play, and then you turn around and come back on the the drive at the end of regulation when the lions had the ball and there's, you know, two minutes left and they've got the ball 10 yards out from striking range from the end zone. And they basically run off the clock and kick the field goal instead of being aggressive and playing for the win. They played for the tie. That's the time to be aggressive, lost the coin flip and never saw the ball again. Especially at the end of the game when the defense is more tired, there's there's not as good of a pass rush. The offensive line has learned the defensive lineman's moves, and that's the time to be aggressive, not early in the game when the defense is fresh and coming at you. But yeah, whatever. so you've got we got so it looks like we got a head coaching staff that doesn't know when to be aggressive and when not to. Mm-hmm. We've got an offensive staff that is locked into particular roles for particular players and is not adjusting the offense. They're still running the 2022 Lions offense in 2023 with different personnel. And now the defense and we got, has defensive coordinators and, have a year of film on it. And the de- and on the defensive side, I have no idea what they are doing. No clue. It, all they were doing was soft coverage all the time. And they hadn't diagnosed CJ Gardner Johnson at that point. So he was still in the game. Hmm. So it wasn't that at that point. So as far as I'm concerned, listeners, gentle listeners, I apologize. The Lions have fooled me. It will be a while before they fool me again. I will need. I know this is still can be a good team if we get people healthy. 
if we get people healthy because they were having open tryouts in Allen Park today. There was mm. that level of injuries. Yeah. David Montgomery was hurt and doesn't look too serious. That's a, officially a thigh bruise. I'm not sure I buy that. They're trying to say that uh, Amon Ross St. Brown is cramps. I'm not sure I buy that because they were talking about putting a plate in his shoe during the game yesterday. You don't do that for cramps that I know of. But, you know, offensive guard uh, Vatai was a knee injury that might have him down. Now, there's plenty of injuries here. And if they get healthy, we can do this. But it sure looked like they wiped out enough weapons and offensive linemen to expose Goff again. There was a lot of high yardage, but it was dink and dunk. Anyway, I'm I don't want to get too much mm-hmm. into a rant because this is dragging long. I'm way over time. I apologize for that. Yeah. And we need to get on to the next the next game. So on to the Colts Texans, the the battle of the two rookies. Um uh, at least for the, a while. Yep. <laughs> yeah, for a quarter. Uh the Colts got the first win of the season, uh thirty one to twenty. Um, honestly, I think both rookie quarterbacks look good. Um, Richardson was super efficient with his fantasy points, scoring two touchdowns early on, but getting the dreaded head whip into the ground on his second one, which is a concussion. I know that's happened to me playing flag football. And, uh, uh, that's, uh, definitely, he should definitely be in concussion protocol if he's not. Um, the good news is Gardner Minshew is a very capable quarterback who kind of toes that line between a really good backup and capable you know, below average starter and he continued to keep him efficient. Um, unlike Deion Jackson, the week before Zach Moss was a monster. He played in all but one snap for him and played really well. He, he rewarded fantasy owners who were bold enough to pick him up off the waivers and start him. CJ Stroud, I think now has more passing yards than Bryce Young and Justin Fields combined this year. He's also thrown the ball like 60 some time. So the Texans are really putting a lot of trust into the rookie running uh, quarterback and it looks like he's starting to build a rapport with guys like Nico Collins and Tank Dell. And uh, they're starting to build something despite the 10-point loss to the Colts, uh, at least offensively. Um, their other tight end or other rookie high uh, top – because there was four of the – three of the top four picks in this rookie's draft were in this game. And the other – the non-quarterback was uh, Will Anderson, who looked great on the first play of the game and then completely was erased by the Colts. And when we were picking this game – I know you picked the Colts, I picked the Texans. The thing that I forgot about is the Colts' offensive line rebounded to 2021 status. Their their offensive line is starting to look pretty good, to be honest. And uh, yeah, that that's a really good sign, especially when they're trying to bring a rookie quarterback along with young, you know, receiver weapons like Michael Pittman and stuff. So, yeah, I know we don't usually cover the Texans, but their running back situation does bear a comment because a lot of people from fantasy side were really big believers in Damian Pierce this year, and he is leading their backfield, but this is looking like instead of a bad offense, small uh, rushing size, but it's all going to one guy kind of situation. This now looks like a possible three-man committee in Houston. I mean, if they're actually getting production out of that, that's great, but from the NFL side, from the fantasy side, it's not looking so hot for the Houston running backs right now. I'm looking at the box score. I mean, Devin Singletary was their leading efficiency running with back with 3.5 yards per carry. 
Damian Pierce, who I love watching run because he's so explosive and good at breaking tackles, only had 31 yards on 15 carries. That's barely more than two yards per carry. So, and, and he was he was the second second most efficient guy. Nobody else had more than two yards per carry. So, that's that's concerning. I mean, they're putting too much on Stroud's shoulders, but they ran a lot of plays. You talking about the Bears not running many plays? I mean, we're talking they they had 25 rushing attempts between five different players. But they still had 47 rushing passing attempts. <laughs> so I got to be honest with you, man. They might be a fantasy gem for these receivers with Nico Collins, who's quietly a top 10 receiver right now. Tank Dell was the guy who had the most targets. And even Robert Woods put up six you know, catches for 70 yards. He's not dead yet because um, they're passing so much. But it's very disappointing because a lot of people have Damian Pierce as a starter. Yeah. Getting back to the Colts, though, Michael Pittman mm-hmm. had another good game. He was a consistent target. It looked like from both quarterbacks. 12 t- targets in the game. Another eight catches. I mean, He didn't have the greatest uh, day from a uh, mm-hmm. fantasy football standpoint, unless you're in a PPR. But no one else had more than four catches. He was double yeah. that. He so, is yeah. the guy. He looks good. Um, I don't know about fantasy, but NFL, he's a receiver. Mm-hmm. You know, and if you're getting 12 targets a game, you're startable in fantasy no matter what. You know, you're you're going to get to have better games. I mean, eight catches for 56 yards is probably your floor. <laughs> so, That's probably yeah. true. Yeah. That's a so, lot of dump off. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, I think that's good win for the Colts. And uh, I hope that Richardson did as well because – you know, not to keep coming back to this, but it's weird seeing the Colts game and the Bears play because Fields is is in his third NFL year and he played as a starter at Ohio State for three years. Uh, this is the second game in the NFL for Richardson, who barely played a season in college as a starter. And Richardson looks way more polished. And I think this is attributed to the coaching because I think Shane Steichen has proven that he brought along Justin Herbert as the quarterbacks coach in with the chargers. And then uh, the last couple of years in Philadelphia, bringing Jalen hurts along. And I think we're already seeing whatever he's doing as a quarterback whisperer, actually living up to it for a third time, which is pretty impressive because a lot of these guys get lucky with one guy that coaches himself. And then they, you know, run that into other jobs. But it seems to me like the Colts are in good hands to uh, they're well coached and they're bringing their quarterback along. And that's more important than the win was seeing, Richardson played very well in the first couple of drives before he got concussed. Yeah, when he actually got a shot against a team that is, you know, on about the same level as the Colts, and he really performed. But yeah, it's amazing how many guys. Last week we talked about guys who fail upward. Mm-hmm. One way <laughs> that people fail upward, coaches fail upward, is when you get one of those career making players to yes. turn around. 100%. And well, you know, if you notice the theme here, Midwestlanders, I mean, the coaching matters. Well, and let's put this a great example. Adam Gase was offensive coordinator for Peyton Manning in Denver, where Peyton Manning ran the call to plays himself. Gets yeah, the Peyton Bears. Manning is the is the offensive coordinator for Peyton Manning. Ex- exactly. Who are we kidding? 
Then he gets the job as the Bears offensive coordinator where he gets a slightly more mediocre year out of Jay Cutler. And everyone goes, oh, my God, look what he did with Jay Cutler. Except when you look back on it, it was just every year of Jay Cutler was basically dead average stats, just super volatile. And then that parlayed into uh, the Jets and Dolphins coaching jobs where he flamed out because he failed upwards because he was Peyton Manning's offensive coordinator, which is hilarious to me. I don't think Shane Sykin is failing upwards. He is actually succeeding, which is uh, more impressive in my opinion. <laughs> oh, definitely. So go Colts. I've been harsh on them too, but I think uh, I think I'm coming around. Yep. But speaking of uh, harsh, the, the Browns and Steelers game was – had the most brutal injury by far of the oh. entire week. RIP Nick Chubb and his knee. Oh, uh, I yeah, I they were you know it's bad when the commentators in the game say, "Yeah, we're not comfortable showing this." I later saw a beautiful unsolicited still picture of the injury in my Facebook feed. Thank you random people. And yeah, uh, his knee was bent 90 degrees sideways. It's yeah, not good. I had a couple people send me links to the video and I just said, I'm not clicking on this. So I was annoyed when one of the guys in my dynasty league who probably listened to this. Thanks, Bart uh, posted the still that you're talking about. And me and like three other guys were just like, dude, now we can't unsee this. We've been actively avoiding looking at this. This is awful to look at. And, uh, the silver lining is now that I've actually seen what it looked like, I have no visions of grandeur of Nick Chubb playing again this year. And honestly, the way they treat running backs, it's just sad that we might not see a lot of Chubb or DK JK Dobbins in the future because of, you know, age and time it takes to recover from these horrific knee injuries and stuff. So um, I hope the best for Chubb and his family and stuff and the Browns fans. Cause, uh, that was not fun to go through. Um, other than that, it was a brutal game. It was an old-fashioned defensive slugout. Um, oh, the yeah. The case for the Browns is at least Jerome Ford looked the part. Um, one of the side rand, random things you and I were talking about um, before the game, um, if you had Deontay Johnson in your league, he was IR just before it. So some leagues allowed you to IR him and pick up another player. In my auction league, Will picked up uh, IR Deontay Johnson and picked up Jerome Ford minutes before the game started and saved himself $100 in fab <laughs> this week. So he doesn't have to worry about the the number one pickup in all fantasy now because he's already on wow. the team. So he turned a uh, an injury from the Steelers into a potential league-winning uh pick up just uh seconds before kickoff so congratulations uh if he's winning the league that might be a reason for it now i have read that uh nick uh kareem hunt has already been meeting with the browns so it sounds to me like he might be uh raining on the jerome ford parade because he's familiar with the offense and they can plug and play him there because i will say a lot of what we said about the browns defensive line was true yeah, I will say from a fantasy perspective that unless we hear something about Kareem Hunt or some of the other running backs signing, Ford is the number one waiver pickup this week, and it's not close. And I don't even have a, I don't even feel bad about talking with you about it because anybody who has number one waiver priority should be picking them up regardless. Yeah, whether you know, they need them or not. Yeah, just grab them. Just, just this is what you. This is what they talk about when people go zero RBs. Is if you have loaded everywhere. 
you get a backup running back like Jerome Ford, plug and play him into the Chubb role, and he could just start churning out 20-point games for you, you know, just out of opportunity. And he looked explosive when he was out there too, man. He had that one run where he was run up the right side, got bowled, reverse course, and ran it way up the sideline. I mean, that was impressive. Uh, that was yeah. like a 40-yard run where he ran like 80 yards on that. So, I mean, I, I he's not just a guy. He's, he's and another a, like 70-yard touchdown run where they had that block from uh... – Deshaun Watson, who might that might have been his best play of the game, and yeah. that's not a compliment. And <laughs> and um, <laughs> before we pivot to Watson and stuff, uh, just to put a pin, pin on this, um, I think Ford was good enough that even if they sign Hunt, it might be for his old role where he it's 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 Ford just slides into the old Chubb role and Hunt continues to be at the Hunt role because he didn't look that great last year, which is why I think a big reason he's unsigned, you know, and Ford looked explosive. Um, before yeah. we get into the Watson, I want to talk about this because when you mentioned Tyler, uh, was it Tyler Conklin? Conklin was injured. I, uh, yeah. I didn't even do the math that until the game was starting where they announced that this was Dwan Jones's first, uh, career start. And, um, because he was one of my guys, I thought he should have been a first round pick out of Ohio state. And he was he fell to the fourth round because people thought he might have wanted to play basketball. Which let's be honest, he's not playing basketball at 400 pounds in the NFL or NBA, probably. <laughs> I mean, You'd think, but because yeah. of his basketball and athleticism, I mean, he's got great footwork for a guy that big. And I just you thought became, <laughs> you thought Barkley was the round mound of rebound, ooh, right? I became obsessed watching him. Like I'm going to talk about specifically the Browns' last drive of the game. I just sure. watched him against TJ Watt. They started lining up TJ Watt super wide because they were trying to get him off the edge on a speed rush because Dwan Jones was just stonewalling whatever stealer they put out there. So they're like, hey, let's get our best player, for, you know, defensive player of the year candidate out on this guy. But he's big, so he must be slow. Jones, the first play, they had uh, David Bell lined up as a tight slot to chip TJ Watt and Jones sprung into action so quickly. He didn't even need the chip. He just stonewalled TJ Watt. The rest of the drive, they literally just let Jones go one-on-one with Watt and he completely stonewalled him on every play one-on-one with no help. It was impressive. It was like watching like Jonathan Ogden back in the day where just the big guys, just, 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 as, just a wall. Now, the funny part, though, is where the Steelers fans should be happy is that their best player was getting stopped in a one-on-one, and they were still getting massive amounts of pressure on Deshaun Watson from everywhere else on that line. And I I wasn't watching the rest of the offensive line for the uh, Browns, but the Steelers' defense looks legit, man. They scored two touchdowns, and um, the defense outscored the offense. They did. I mean, I'm concerned about the offense, but the defense looked every bit the part. And I think the Steeler, the Browns offense was also, we talked about this in the preview. I don't think it's cause for concern of the Steelers offense because they went against arguably the two best defensive lines, you know, uh, with the Cleveland. Definitely. In my opinion, absolutely. Two of the top three. The Mm -hmm. only other one I'd put in there is the Eagles. If they're all healthy. I agree. The deep Eagles are up there. And honestly, the Steelers are starting to look up there. I thought their linebacker core was great. They were making, they were all over. And, you know, and these these tackles were making plays. And I, I, I was just really impressed by both teams' front sevens. Um, one of Watson's best throws was uh, a quick out to, I think it was Elijah Moore. And 
that no no sorry I, I what it was Pickett's best throw of the game was a quick out to Calvin Austin for a first down pickup and Denzel Ward was all over uh Calvin Austin not like a penalty wise like he was just draped all over him there was nowhere to throw the ball and Pickett winged it in there and to me that was a good throw and but Denzel Ward looks like Denzel Ward of old. Like he was amazing when I watched him playing cornerback. And I, I do think it's one of those things where like I feel like the watching the Browns lose that game, I felt the same way watching the Packers lose that game, where I think they might have came away with the L, but that team looked good. Um Yeah. The it, only it just, part of the sorry to interrupt. No, the go only, I, I was Peter out. The only part of the uh, Steelers offense that looked good was George Pickens. He had some, he had a mat, that massive 70 yard play. That was big. Four catches, 127 yards and a touchdown. The Prime time that, Pickens. Yep. The part that I was disappointed in Pickett is that I know Deontay Johnson is that underneath the separator to help move the chains quickly. Cause he gets open. I would have expected more out of Pratt Fryermuth, who had one catch again for two weeks in a row. I mean, I, you, you got to lean on your tight end a little bit more when, you know, and maybe that was by design that there was so much pressure they were keeping Fryermuth in to block. So that's he wasn't getting out or something. But um, I was just expecting more of that with uh, Deontay Johnson out. And yeah, yeah. I will say just for the, 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 the signs for concern for Cleveland is is Watson good or is he rusty? Cause you kind of alluded to it. We kind of buried this lead. Uh, Watson's best play of the game was a block lead block for Jerome Ford. Uh, it, he looked brutal in times, but I also want to point out that there is a significant coaching difference to how he's being used schematically now compared to how he was being used in Houston. In Houston, it was very much a shotgun read and fire kind of, offense where he was using his athleticism and his arm to get guys open and make plays the cleveland offense by everyone's admission is an under center quick drop get the ball out kind of offense and to be blunt that's not what watson does best his ideal situation was what he was doing in houston Mm -hmm. and cleveland is reinventing the wheel with it yeah i don't get why Because you've got an offense that should go very, very nicely. This is an offense with, other than maybe offensive line, better pieces than what he had in Houston, and you're getting inferior results. Unless Watson is forked, which is possible. He was basically out of football for two years. Mm -hmm. I'm looking at the offensive coaching staff here. You mean the same offensive coaching staff that came in to salvage Baker Mayfield and traded him midway through the season? After uh, Baker Mayfield is a quiet hero in Cleveland. I don't know if you're aware of that because he had that he he ended the uh, the that thirty game losing streak that they broke open the what do they call it the um the Bud Light uh, free beer cans. Remember that thing where they oh, lost yeah. so many games that he won the game as a rookie. And he set like rookie passing records that year. And then the next year, they not only went to the playoffs, they, they beat the arch rival Steelers. It's their only playoff win since Bill Belichick was their coach in the 90s as the old Browns. And it, it's not, it, it, people don't understand that aren't in Cleveland that it's not that Watson isn't good, even if he was good. 
People in Cleveland irrationally love Baker Mayfield for beating the Steelers. And I understand that because if a Bears quarterback were actually just came in and just started beating the Packers and only the Packers, including the playoffs, I would love him for forever, even if he sucked in every other game. And the fact that Watson hasn't even been good, you know, it's even worse when you factor in what they gave up for him, uh, all the off-field issues he's had, and he needs to be what he was in Texan in Houston as a Texan to live up to all the controversy, all they gave up to get him and kicking Baker Mayfield out the door, who now actually looks like he's on his third uh, stint of good play in Tampa. Now he looks like he's this year's Geno Smith, where he's going to be the top 10 quarterback that everyone wrote, wrote, wrote off, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah. I, I hear that. So speaking of the Browns, are we ready to pick uh, to pivot to the previews? Uh, well, if, I do want to point out that uh, Minka Fitzpatrick picked up an injury also on the, the Steelers side, and we're still awaiting word as to the extent of it, so it may or may not affect uh, future games for the Steelers. Other than that, I pretty much echo what you're saying. The defense looks incredibly legit. Congrats to TJ Watt on becoming the all-time franchise leader in career sacks mm-hmm. also. Yep. And I will say on the Mika Fitzpatrick thing, they showed a stat line where he had five tackles and like in a, in a pass breakup. And it was like seven minutes into the game. <laughs> That's like a full game stat line right there. And it was like with after like one drive, I mean, that guy's all over the place. So I hope for the Steelers fans, he's healthy, but Definitely. let's stick with, shall we stick with the Browns? Um, they're leading off one of our five uh, early game slates on Sunday. Um, we have, all eight of our teams are playing different games, so we have a lot to cover. Um, so in our week three, one more thing in picks. Uh, it is we'll start with the Titans versus the Browns. What is, what's your one more thing, and who are you picking? This is another time where the Titans are playing. Are the Titans a really good defensive team, or are they really good at playing teams that are struggling on offense? I don't know. Uh, well, we're not going to find out this week. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem. Um, I'm still sticking with the Browns. I feel like they've they've got to get it together. This is the the game where if they lose this and they go to one and two, and then then the lookout starts. But what I'm looking for here is if they can get anything out of the running game post Nick Chubb, especially against the Titans team that has done very well against the run. So if they can, that's saying something. Yeah, so my my one more thing is going to be, can Deshaun Watson look good against the Titans? Because they are the ultimate pass funnel defense where they are a top three run defense and a bottom three pass defense. And uh, without Chubb, it's going to be tough for number one fantasy pickup, Jerome Ford. And it's got to be Watson that takes the pressure off of that by throwing to all those you know, receivers they picked up in the offseason. And um, it's interesting because, you know, I think we are we, we're, we're not as high on the Browns as Seth was with his 15 and two prediction. But I very much considered the Browns. I, th- I can't remember if, if I picked them to win the division, which I think I might have. Um, but I also picked the Titans to win the AFC South. And ironically, the Titans one loss was to the Saints, who I think are probably the best team of the NFC South. So I I don't think I'm going to overreact to any result in this game. I think the Titans and the Browns are two quietly underrated teams in the national media that one of them is going to be one and two, but it's not going to be because they lost to bad 
uh, lost to bad teams. It's going to be because they've just played good teams and the Steelers could be up a 10 win team. The Titans could be a 10 win team and the Browns could be a 10 win team by the end of this. And I wouldn't be surprised about it. So my take is I'm still going to stick with the Browns. I think their defense has, is just overall better. And I think that this is the game where we might see Watson shake off the rust with that pass funnel defense. Yeah. Um, Next one is uh, your Lions against the Falcons. So do you want to lead off with what you want to see? I really want to see if the Lions run defense can hold up against the Falcons because they're going to run it a lot. The question is, how efficient will they be? And I'm picking the Falcons because same old Lions until proven otherwise. (laughs) I am looking to see if the uh, Detroit defense front can rebound against a bad Desmond Rizzer, but with good talent around him. Um, uh, I want to see if the Lions can generate someone outside of Aiden Hutchinson that can get pat- pressure uh, when Hutchinson is being doubled or triple teamed, according to Tony, friend of the podcast, Tony, who was at the game with his son last week, by the way. got His son's a Very Seahawks nice. fan, and he failed to convert his son to uh, be, bring him back to being a Lions fan. So sorry about that, Tony. You got to disown Ryan now. But you're also your son Ryan's smarter than you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> there's a lot of there's a lot of good traits that Lions fans have, you know, including the oh, the old uh, definition of insanity being doing the same thing over and over again, and expecting a different result. But on to the Packers and the Saints. Boy, the Saints have had one disjointed uh, season so far. They're two and zero, but I really don't think they match up very well against the Packers. The strength of the Saints is their passing offense, and they've also got a really good defense. They'll need that really good defense against all the weapons of the Green Bay Packers, especially if Aaron Jones can get healthy, which I'm not counting on, but yeah, not with a hamstring. Yeah, but also at the same time, the Saints just lost Jamal Williams. Not that he was doing a lot, but they don't. What's his name? Uh, Kamara's not back yet, and I don't think Kendry Mill is back. So was it the no. Tony Jones show? <laughs> yeah, they are really missing Kamara. And the Saints if our, are. If our theory is correct that the Packers' defense is weak against the run and the Saints have literally nobody to run against them, um, I think I, I'm going with the Packers. And by the way, I don't think I picked the last game. I'm, I'm going to go with the Lions just to be contrarian to you. I'm not a Lions fan. I don't have to pick against them yet. <laughs> Wink <laughs> Uh, so yeah, that I... brings us to the overrated bowl of Chargers versus Vikings. Oh, and real quick, just one last thing: I, I did pick the Packers, or Saints, to win the division, and I still think the Packers are better than them. So, um, did I have a one more thing on that game? I, I guess don't I remember. Just, I just want to see the young receivers ball out, whether it be the Packers guys or Olave and Rasheed Sahid and stuff. So, you know, I just want to see that. That's what I want to see. Yeah. I just want to see some fun fantasy points out of that game. It should be fun. Both of those teams have a lot of weapons and a lot of strength on the back end. Speaking of a lot of fantasy weapons, like you said, the overrated bull, Char- Chargers versus the Vikings. What do you want to see? Boy, I, I, a team score less than 20 points. <laughs> but that's <laughs> not going to happen here. In a quarter? <laughs> yeah, something like that. <sighs> Oh speaking my of, gosh! Speaking yeah, of fouling guys, upwards, two, yeah, these are two, you know people thought these were great teams coming into the season. They're great rosters with well, the Chargers are a great roster with the clown show coach, 
And the Vikings are a totally uneven roster that even a little bit of resources and a couple of key points, as we talked about earlier, would have made a huge difference. As it stands, somebody's going to get their first win unless they tie, which would be somehow very fitting. That would be. And I am looking for the Vikings. What I'm looking here is the the hit count for Kirk Cousins because the Chargers are a have great talent on defense, but have been largely ineffectual at it. So if they're clobbering Cousins, then we hit the point where he might not even survive the season. And the sad thing is, I'm not sure this Vikings team cares about that long term. Might be a blessing in disguise. I mean, I I want it. My one more thing is I just want to see the Vikings trade Cousins to the Jets and let him go play somewhere else, where, <laughs> and they can just finish the tank for the season. But then I feel bad for Justin Jefferson. Um, no, but my serious one is, uh, I do want to see if Cousins in the line can at least slow Nick Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack enough because we we've seen that despite their two elite pass rushers, the Chiefs Chargers still can't make a stop. So, I mean, like the last game, there's going to be probably a lot of fantasy scoring in this game. So start your guys. Um, but I don't even All know. All of them not named Madison. Yeah, and I will say this. The Chargers, Brandon Staley is getting one of those spots on fouling upwards because he rode that Rams Super Bowl team with a – Donald and uh, Jalen Ramsey is the number one defense in the league to this coaching job. And he's had Derwin James and Joey Bosa and Khalil Mack. And he continues to put out a third straight year of bottom five defense. I mean, it, the my I guess what I'm looking to see is can the Vikings get the, the um, Chargers coach to be the first coach fired? To be honest, can the Vikings win the game? Yeah. And you know what? I've been down on you Vikings, but I'm going to pick you guys despite the fact that that you know what no i'm gonna pick the tie because these are two quietly <laughs> tortured fan bases and this is the only way this game could go both of these teams should be better but they can't both be better and i'll take the i'll take the tie at the end of the day i think unless kirk cousins doesn't literally does not survive this game i do think the vikings are going to win because the vikings want to throw it 60 times and i don't think the chargers can stop that when you said the Vikings want to throw it, I thought you meant the Vikings want to throw away the season so it would be appropriate that they accidentally won some games and screwed up their draft positioning. <laughs> no, that that that's the, that's the Cardinals game plan. Oh yeah, we don't need to talk about that. <clears throat> the halftime adjustments. Uh, hey guys, we're trying to lose. Um <laughs> We have the Baltimore Ravens versus the old Baltimore team, the Colts. Uh, what's one more thing that you want to see in this game? Oh boy. I'm really hoping to see a healthy Richardson. So we'll see if he can clear concussion, but if he can't, then I want to see if that running game can repeat against a more legitimate team. You have to pick the Ravens to win this game. They're just further ahead in their window than the Colts are. Mm Mm-hmm. But yeah. there's the and I'm and I'm not a moral victory guy, but the Colts, if the Colts can find a running back, that would really strengthen their position with the whole Jonathan Taylor thing, with going forward uh, next year trying to build towards a winner. Mm-hmm. So let's see what Moss does. Yeah, if he can be good, 
um, they can move, they can get some capital for Jonathan Taylor possibly. Um, what I'm looking for is I want to see what the Colts defense does against the Raiders offense because um, I haven't paid much attention to the Colts defense. I don't know if they're good or bad. I know they've scored some touchdown. They've scored some touchdowns and stuff, um, and they might be quietly better than I expected to be honest. Um, they were certainly opportunistic in that first game. Yeah, and I, I couldn't name a player on that defense, but they seem to be better, especially after losing their great defensive coordinator to the Bears head coaching job. Um, speaking of the Bears, they are our only Sunday afternoon game at 425 against, on the road against the reigning Super Bowl champion Chiefs. Um, this is my 15th annual Bearcation where me and my high school buddies pick a road game because we're masochists and like to see the Bears lose in person. And this will be my second week in a row watching the Bears lose. So I'm going to go ahead and pick the Chiefs ahead of time. And what I'm going to watch, want to see is can Justin Fields throw the ball when he has 12 seconds to throw it to wide open receivers? Will he start doing that or will um, – because I think the Bears, if he repeats his game plan from last week, the Bears could save a lot of money by picking anybody off the street at NFL minimum wage, which I think is like half a million, and just saying, hey, go snap the ball and stand there until a bunch of 300-pound guys hit you, and we'll pay you dearly for it. So that's that's basically what the Bears' game plan is, and I want to see if it changes. Yeah. Um, look, the, the one thing that gives me hope about the Bears is that each of the last three years, the Bears have started off really slowly and trying to throw a ton and through two coaching staffs they've eventually altered their game plan when they realized that it was not working so i want to see if the coaching staff changes up the formula here because if it doesn't and as long as it doesn't they're going to keep getting smoked Mm -hmm. this is not a winning game plan and i don't know if it even can be yeah, they need to lead on the running game more and uh, naturally let Fields throw more, not force him to throw more on a serious note. But I'm picking the Chiefs. Who you got? Yeah, it's got to be the Chiefs. Okay. Uh, we have uh, our our uh, region, the Midwestlanders, dominate, continue to dominate primetime games. This time we got the Steelers versus the Raiders on Sunday night football. What are you looking for in this game? I want to see that Steelers defensive front continue to impose their will. They definitely should against uh, the Raiders, who are not a strong team along the line, really never have been. So I do like the Steelers in this game. Uh, the, the Raiders would the Raiders would need a huge game from Devontae Adams and some other people in order to hang with the Steelers. What I'm looking to see is I'm looking for Kenny Pickett and the uh, offense, especially Najee, to uh, get going this year because they played against two of the roughest matchups to start the season. And if the Steelers' offense is anywhere as good as we thought they might be, this is the game that they might drop 30 points on, even without Deontay Johnson. And I want to see that happen. I want to see if they do, because if they can't get it going against the Raiders, who can they get it going against? You know, Fair point. They should yeah. be two and one. I'm picking the Steelers. Yeah, that's the, this is an alarm bell game. If Kenny Pickett is putting up another 14 point, 20 point game, and one of those was a defensive score. And remember, this is a uh, Jimmy G has rarely finished a season healthy. This could be the game where we see uh, uh, preseason darling Aiden O'Connell finish if things go badly against that yeah. Steelers front seven that we saw terrorizing Deshaun Watson last night. Yeah, the and the Browns have a really do have a better offensive line than the Raiders. So 
this was you know, watch out because Jimmy Garoppolo might be reaching up to tie his shoes. Yeah. Anyway, the lastly we've got the Rams and the Bengals and the Monday night finale. Again, uh, there's two Monday night games, but ours is the last. Yes, and the Rams have looked very very good. This all comes down to if Joe Burrow can play. If he's playing, then you have to take the Bengals at home regardless. Although this is a game that I definitely think that they could lose. Matt Stafford looks rejuvenated. The offense looks like it's, you know, flying free and loose, even without Cooper Cup. And the Bengals have shown a lot of problems stopping people. But that being said, the Bengals are just a better team than the Rams right now, assuming everybody's actually healthy and playing. So I'm taking the Bengals. But what I'm looking for is if these uh, is if the safeties for the on the back end can step up and actually stop some of these promising young Rams players that don't have a lot of tape on them yet. Yeah, it's weird to think that the Rams with Tuta, Tutu Atwell and Puka Nakua could have the two best fantasy assets at wide receiver in a game with uh, Chase, Chase, uh, Jamar Chase and T Higgins. But um, I, I just think it'll be interesting. It's it, it's it's potentially a shootout in. What I'm looking to see is if uh, Burrow can shake the rust and actually get the offense on track because this could be a shootout because the uh, Rams' offense looks good. The uh, secondary for the Bengals doesn't look good. And uh, the defense of the Rams is basically Aaron Donald and nobody else, which could be a problem if um, Burrow can't move around in the pocket that well because of his calf. But uh, I'm going to pick the Bengals too. I think they're a really good team, but I'm very impressed by what I see uh, out of L.A. Definitely. That is all the time we have today for the Midwest Football Podcast. Thank you so much for choosing to spend time with us this week. If you think you're that we're nuts or you have something to add to our conversation, please feel free to email us at midwestfootballpodcast at gmail.com or contact us through any of our socials. As for our regulars, thank you for uh, to Raymond for our theme music, Running Home, from his album Call to Me. Look for it wherever digital music is sold. Chris Bradley for all of our logos. And again, our listeners, thank you very much as we take it into the locker room for the fifth quarter. Until next week, we will see you later. I miss you already. 